I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about The Terminal. To the Which, and joining me to... Yes? Is weird, because this one has a lot of other people. Yeah, no, it, I, I mean, it's a big cast. Uh, you just heard him, that is one of my guests, Andrew Taraski, and also with him is Kestra. Hello, Kestra, and Andrew. Hi. Yes, I, I, it's really weird, because obviously, the, you know, the film starts with, um, you know, Victor Dvorsky, you know, showing his passport at, uh, at um, you know, uh, Customs and Border protection uh which when i went to new york in 2001 for the first time i think it was just immigration um and when i landed in 2001 uh i didn't have a hotel booked and when they said to me where are you staying i was just like i don't know i've got a couple of guidebooks here i'm just gonna book a hotel in a bit and they were like just write anything down when i went back in 2007 (laughs) things were not that loose um so uh yeah like the you know he he's it's funny because obviously he's he's monitored he like he sees these um the the japanese tourists and he's like they're all dressed to go to disneyland but none of them have got a camera which it's funny because that's like literally a stereotype from like at least two other tom hanks films where you had a a japanese character with a camera (laughs) so um yeah you know like that kind of weird 80s stereotype of japanese people always have like 10 or 11 cameras around their necks um, he, like he's like, there's obviously got to be something suspicious, and there is something suspicious because, of course, as soon as you know, uh, customs try to uh, intercept them, they all start running, causing this kind of confusion at the beginning here, where you know there's a lot of noise and stuff going on, and obviously Victor's not sure what's happening, um, and his his passport, uh, you know, basically just fails, um, and this is where we meet uh, the unusually named Judge Thurman. Uh, played by Barry Shabaka Henley, um, who is a great actor. Uh, I first saw him in Fear of a Black Hat, um, which is a wonderful spoof movie of kind of like a rap from the early early nineties. Um, I I mean I like his character here because like I don't know like he's not really there's no like kind of judgment. Um, he's just like you know uh, carrying out orders basically that uh, that Frank Dixon gives him. He's just like you know. I do like they, that they kind of quarantine him in his own little, you know, um, Victor in his own little square. Um, they, like, pull the, the things around, <laughs> just kind of leave him there uh, while mm-hmm. all the chaos is going on around. And I just thought that was a funny little touch where it's just like, you know, just stay here. Um, and then, of course, he's very quickly called into the office um, of uh, of Frank Dixon, where he's informed that his country effectively no longer exists. Um, there has been a coup of some kind, and the UN no longer recognize it as a country. And uh, so his passport is no good, but also his um, visa is also no good because now the US doesn't recognize it as being a legitimate visa. Um, and he explains this in the in kind of the weirdest way ever by getting a bag of chips and saying, this is, you know, this is your country, you know, uh, you, this is, you know, this is, this is Kokosia. Um, and then he gets the apple and he says, this is what's happened. And then he hits the bag and just covers him in like chips. And I'm like, or as we say over here, crisps. And I'm like, this is the weirdest way for him to try and explain this. I guess 
you know, obviously we found out that Victor speaks basically no English. He has like a few phrases memorized. Um, in particular, you know, like take me to the, um, the the hotel that he wants to go to. So it's like, it, it's just it's just so kind of weird that like this is the way that he chooses to explain it. I I mean, I, then of course, obviously Victor doesn't realize what's happening, so he's like shaking his hand and, and saying, you know, oh thank you very much, and he's he's ready to like go to New York. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's like ready to move along his way, and he's like, "Oh, you, you know, you've you've communicated with me. I don't really know what you said, but okay, I'm I'm just gonna like nod and go along and and move on." Um, I I love that bit with the chips because it's so unexpected. Everything's been like really mundane and business like up until that point, and that's like the first indication that there's anything heightened <laughs> about yeah. this reality. Yeah, and the way that the that the bag explodes on. On Tom, on Tom Hanks is 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 like pretty much perfect. It's just like, and his reaction is like, okay, what? Because he doesn't understand. He's like, <laughs> this guy's just smashing his chips on me. Weird. Yeah, I and I is this the point where he's he's already given his passport up, or he's asked to give his passport up at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so he's lost his return ticket and his passport. Yeah. So he's so now he's stuck. Um. Now, what's weird here is that um. Frank Diction, he as he's explaining this, he gives a passing mention to GHN. He says, "Oh, it'll be on GHN." Um, and this is—I don't know. This, this is just a weird thing. I find this really weird in films where it's like everyone in the world knows that CNN exists. Like it's—you know—it was the first twenty-four-hour news like network. Everyone knows that, and yet films insist on having fake CNNs on it. And yeah, fake, uh, fake international. Yeah, news. and it's always really weird because it's like. You know, like, it'll be, like, GNN, or it'll be TNN, or it'll be FNN. Like, it's like, we know what you're referring to. You're, you're trying not to say CNN. Just say CNN. Like, just pay them for, like, their graphics. Like, it's like it just feels really... It just makes things seem a little bit fake. Um, but it, what's what's weird is it's, like... Um, that that is this that's the way that they will convey the news to Victor in a way that doesn't involve covering him in food. Um, when, of course, he exits, and... Again, like uh, what I find, what I find kind of interesting about this premise is for this guy to be stuck in this terminal in like a funny comedy, people are being murdered in his home country, and it's like a really, uh, it's it's a really weird kind of like tonal shift where he's he's seeing the news on the TV. Obviously, he recognizes the name of Krakosha, and he's trying to figure out what's happening, and he's running from TV to TV, um, and obviously because Tom Hanks is you know a double Oscar winner and a great actor, you feel like you feel so sad, like that he's, he's finding out this, the, the news this way. And uh, like each time the, the kind of, because of the way that the TVs in the airport are working, like they just finish the, like the last few seconds of the news thing. And then it starts on a different TV and he's kind of running from TV to TV. He does this weird thing where he throws his bag onto, onto the escalator and just runs up the stairs. Um, uh-huh. And, like just the sadness like of him realizing that effectively like his you know there's this this kind of thing that's happened in his country and you know we don't know how big this country is but it it feels like he kind of not that he knows the people but obviously he understands the situation and you get the feeling that he's not on the side of the people who have committed this coup so he's basically seeing his country being taken over by people that obviously 
you know ha- don't have the best interests of, of you know for Kokosia, and you feel that sadness and it's like for what is meant to be like a light comedy that is literally what Steven Spielberg said he was like you know after 9-11 he just wanted to do kind of like lighter comedies which is why he did Catch Me If You Can and you know this um, obviously his next film is Munich which is not quite as light-hearted um, but I, I find it funny that like at the very beginning here in the first kind of 10-15 minutes it's all about this murderous coup that happened in this eastern european country and like the sadness that, that victor feels for like what is clearly lost yeah well and it's you're, you're right like there is kind of a weird tonal shift where in the beginning it, it is all of that like business like oh here's the operations of the airport and then you get this you know sequence where it's like oh something weird has happened and we're setting up the premise and then you get when um when Judge is introdu- introducing him into the terminal, you get, a, I think, a really effective like set of camera work and the way everything's moving around. It's really disorienting and it's, you know, communicating that he is disoriented in the environment. And then you get the really sad shift where, yeah. where like, he, he you know, is slowly crying, you know, developing tears and... um, as he realizes like something's wrong. And I don't and I really don't understand what has happened and what is wrong. And having all of the business stuff at the beginning, and then switching to him being uh, shuffled around to different places and then disoriented and not quite understanding. They do a really good job at making us care for him, not understanding, and then suddenly being like, oh, something really bad has happened in my country. And suddenly being like, oh, no one's told me about this, but someone has told me about this. I just didn't understand yeah i can't i can't follow along. yeah and i think it's interesting as well because obviously what like you know frank dixon is like i'm gonna let you go back out to the terminal i'm gonna give you some food vouchers um you know like he's kind of he's he's basically kind of setting him up because as we'll find out as the film goes on frank dixon wants him arrested <laughs> but he hasn't broken any laws because he hasn't left the terminal as soon as he leaves the terminal effectively he will be breaking, um, you know, some, I don't know, some section of some law. And so he'll be arrested and taken to prison. And so he won't be Frank's problem anymore. And that, and so Frank... I mean, I, I guess functionally he becomes an undocumented immigrant yes, of some kind. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, but, but, you know, Frank is obviously like, I, you know, I'm going to let you go back out to the terminal and I'm going to give you some food vouchers. So you'll, you know, be able to get some food and stuff. I think he he's he's not seen that this is going to last very long, you know. Like obviously, whatever this coup is, he thinks it'll be resolved pretty quickly. But he's like, well, you know, we'll give him a, a bit of money to stay for a couple of days, or even maybe a day, and then once he runs out, he'll try and leave. He'll be arrested. He won't be my problem anymore. That is, that's like his underlying motive. Um, and yeah, the disorientation is kind of you know like, I mean, you know, there's been, I mean, uh, you know, I've been to France, and you watch French TV, and you're like. I have no idea what's going on with this. You know, I've got basic French. I kind of understand some words. But obviously, uh, you know, people on French TV don't talk slowly enough for me to understand what they're saying because, you know, they're on TV. Um, so I'm not mm. saying I've had the same level of disorientation, but I've certainly kind of stared at the TV for like half an hour and been like, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand this at all. Um, and so I this this kind of his his like kind of like kind of, um, you know, both being kind of thrown into this environment where he doesn't understand anything that's going on plus finding out the news about the coup, 
Um, obviously, it you know it kind of distresses him, and as as a viewer, you're kind of instantly then put on the side of Tom Hanks. Of course, you are because it's Tom Hanks, and everybody likes Tom Hanks. So it's funny then that. So so it feels really good when he actually starts to decompress at night. Yeah, you know, you're like, this is really stressful. I really want to get to the calm part, and then it. And I think it times out. Well, really I th- well. I think what's funny is, of course, before that he breaks that young girl's bag. You think he's going to help her, and it's going to be helpful, but he doesn't. He just. He presses too hard and breaks his back, um, which causes him to lose his food vouchers. Um, and then, of course, we are introduced uh, to uh, Kumar Polina playing uh, Gupta, who seemingly hates everybody <laughs> and is very suspicious. Um, and he tell, like he obviously says to Victor, because you know he just sweeps up the food vouchers, and Victor tries to get them back out of the bag, and obviously Gupta's not having that. And he says to him, "Have you got an appointment?" And Victor's obviously confused, and he's like, "Come back Tuesday." And obviously Gupta is not expecting him to still be around next Tuesday. But I think it's funny that like that's his excuse. He's like, come back Tuesday. And then he just kind of walks off with his card. Um, And obviously Gupta, you know, will will warm to Victor as time goes on. But I think it's funny that like, you know, no, but nobody wants to help Victor. Like he's, you know, they're kind of sort of helping him by giving him the food vouchers and stuff. But they're almost kind of deliberately kind of disorientating him and, and kind of losing him. And then Gupta's just not nice to him. And then, you know, like you say, we finally get to the point where he he goes to... He wanders around and finds, like, what part of the terminal that's been uh, refurbished. And he, uh, what I like about this is he, like, he tries to sleep in those chairs. And obviously, uh, you know, if you've ever been in an airport for more than, I don't know, 15 minutes and you've tried to relax on one of their chairs, <laughs> those chairs aren't comfortable. Um no, they're yeah. terrible. They're not. They're not designed for people to spend more than ten minutes sitting in them. Um, you know, waiting for a plane, which is absurd because people always show up early for flights. Like most people are in those chairs for like forty-five minutes to an hour, and then there's delays so often. Yeah, and you have to change locations so often that really, if there's one place where you should have a decent chair. It, sh- it, it should be, yeah. Yes. And, and the funny, the funniest thing is, like, you know, obviously, you know, following nine uh, eleven, uh, you know, check ins for like international flights are hours. Like, you you're expected to be there hours. Oh yeah, you got to show yeah. up. So I I think it's funny that then you get there and and also there's never enough seats. It doesn't matter what terminal you're in. There's never enough seats. So. Um, you're always just waiting for some, like you're waiting for a plane to come in so some people will get up so you can sit down. Um, you know, there's a lot of standing around waiting for seats, and then once you're in the seat, you're like, "This isn't comfortable. Why? Why did I? Why did I covet the seat so much?" Um, and those chairs are those are only the chairs for airports. You don't see those types <laughs> of chairs anywhere else. Yeah, it's not the kinds of chairs that you have at hospitals. It's not the kind of chairs that you have at sporting events. It's just airports. Yeah. Um, obviously they're like joined together they're like in banks of eight and uh, we fought because what I find funny about uh, this character is you know when like at no point does he expressly say when I'm back home this is the job I had this is what I did like there's no real but you just get the insights from what he can do and the fact that he like gets out like a you know like a pen knife and takes apart some chairs (laughs) so that he can make himself a bed Uh, you're like obviously he's He's skilled. Maybe he's an engineer. You know, there's like there's there's certain aspects of him that will be kind of gradually revealed as the film goes on, and I think it's an it's an it's an interesting way that kind of Spielberg almost does it like, um, almost like a silent film. Like there's no there's no discussion of him saying you know uh, back home I, I am this, 
Um, you just see him with the chairs. And obviously there's, you know, a wonderful bit of a physical comedy from Tom Hanks as he tries to make himself comfortable and he ends up falling between the chairs and then he kind of has to struggle up. Um, and then that's what motivates him to kind of take the chairs apart and kind of put put together like a bed. Um, and then obviously the next, the next morning... Um, you know, Frank Dixon sees that there is a man <laughs> wearing a bathrobe walking around the terminal, um, which is a great reveal of like the fact that obviously, you know, Victor has been staying there. But I like I don't know what they expected. Like, they, you know, I guess they were thinking maybe his flight would go before the end of that day and everything be sorted. But I do like the kind of surprise of like there's a guy just wandering around. And in all fairness to Victor, it makes sense. You know, if you're if you just slept there, you know, take your clothes off, put on a dressing gown and, you know, go use the facilities. Um, and obviously this is kind of, this is the character that we will have in terms of, like, I don't know if he's like incredulous to what's going on around him, but obviously like him settling into the terminal is probably, I don't know, it's probably was my favorite part of the film where he gradually becomes more and more comfortable with like, just kind of just being in the terminal all the time and, uh, you know, just kind of accepting that that's his fate. Yeah. This kind of starts the, the, there's kind of the sequence of the film where he's just, or, well, there's. There's multiple little sequences where they're establishing like, oh, yeah, he's becoming comfortable. He is getting a routine. He is establishing some sort of structure for what he is going to do with his time as well as how he's going to be maintaining himself. And this is like the first time he's like, okay, he figures out how to take a shower. And then later on, he figures out how to how to get food and how to um, how, how to spend his time, you know, like. You can't just wander around, so he actually has some sort of structure to his day. He has some sort of routine. Yeah, and part of that routine will be going to see Zoe Saldana every day. I mean, you know, that would be a part of everyone's routine, I would think, if they possibly could. Just go and see Zoe Saldana. (laughs) Looking, I mean, looking like somebody who clearly would never have to work for, like, you know, Customs and Border Patrol. You know, she is ridiculously (laughs) beautiful, and it's just absurd. Um, playing the, I, I mean, I don't know which of the three screenwriters came up with it, but Dolores Torres. I mean, seriously, like, I mean, what is that? Like, <laughs> that's just a gag name. Um, that is a that's yeah. a, an unusual name. <laughs> yes, obviously she'll be mostly addressed as Officer Torres for most of the film. Um, but yeah, he fills in the wrong coloured card um, t- to get entry, and so he has to fill in the light green, which obviously he learns on the first day. And this will begin the, the kind of the routine of him doing this every single day for like, waiting for like two hours to be seen and then having his card stamped with denied, um, which obviously, you know, that is I mean, it's a clear setup for something that will happen later on. But I, I mean, I love Zoe Saldana in this. She's obviously a great actress. Everybody, uh, you know, uh, you know, what has she done that is not great? Um, uh, maybe Colombiana. She is. She is genuinely like her participation in the biggest franchises in film history is pretty astounding. Which is very if, if funny in, in this film when she starts mentioning that she's likes conventions. And <laughs> yeah, she's a Trekkie. She's it's a like, Trekkie. Oh, you don't oh, even know. You don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think that is that's kind of like an interesting, um, yeah, an interesting kind of like thing. Yeah. Obviously she's, you know, she's been in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and she's obviously been in Guardians of the Galaxy and then, you know, obviously Endgame and Infinity War. Um, mm-hmm. And then Star Trek and, Star Trek. and, yes. and Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing Avatar 2 and 3, whenever they come out, which I'm guessing is, I, I don't know, 2030, 2035. I have no idea what's going on with yeah. those. Avatar 2 was actually meant to have come out last Christmas. Uh, 2020 was the, the first, well, 
I mean, it was meant to have come out in 2018 and 2017 and 2014 <laughs> and 2013. Right. It's been going on for a little while. But yeah, she's like literally in like four of the highest grossing films of all time. Um, and here she is playing someone who is obviously a big fan of Star Trek. Uh, something which we will only find out as the film goes on. Uh, but yeah, so her stamping the denied thing is, um, you know, something that will happen. Uh, you know, th- this is obviously going to be part of his routine. Um, I like, I like that. Obviously, we we have, um, you know, uh, Judge Thurman and kind of Victor, uh, Fra- sorry, Frank Dixon. They kind of uh, are keeping an eye on Victor, and I like that they're they're trying to figure out what he wants and what he's doing. Um, you know, uh, later on we'll we'll kind of get. Um, you know the reason why he's he's here um but i i like that you know judges like what did you expect and frank is like i thought he would just leave <laughs> like i thought he would try to get out like he'd run out of money and then he'd try to get out here like that's what i was expecting i didn't think he would like make the terminal his home and start wandering around in a bathrobe and you know and, and the response is you told him to yeah wait, so he he keeps waiting yeah. it's like it, it's it is frank's fault yeah. Yes, I th- well, that's what I thought was kind of interesting, was, like, he ends up kind of becoming the antagonist of the film, but he's the one who set it up. Like, he's the one who gave him the waiver to go into the terminal and, you know, just kind of do whatever he wants. Um, and, 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 yeah, just, like, he, he's not going to... Like, then we get probably... I, I don't know. Again, like, there is some heightened stuff in this, and this is probably the most kind of, like, heightened of everything, where they say to him, you know, tomorrow at 12 o'clock, those doors will be unguarded. <laughs> And the next shift mm-hmm. won't come on for five minutes. So basically, you've got a five-minute window to kind of escape from the fake JFK. Uh, and obviously, um, this leads this leads to him kind of stand. What I like as well is uh, everyone who works in this airport will eventually become invested in this story. And this is the first part where you know you have like all the guards in like the the room where they've got all the monitors, kind of just watching. And he keeps having to say to them like go do your jobs, like, stop standing around watching this. Um, he keeps having to disperse his staff, which I thought I thought was quite entertaining. And and what I, what I like here is, like, the kind of the dance with the, the camera. Like, obviously, you know, they're, they're trying, him and, and Judge are trying to find where Victor is, and then they kind of find him, and then they start following him with his camera. And, of course, he, he kind of notices that this camera is kind of moving, and he does a few tests where he kind of ducks down and watches the camera follow him um and i just i mean i like there's 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 a tiny bit of like the physical comedy obviously you know when he was setting up the bed but there's not a huge amount of physical comedy for tom hanks in this but i did like this kind of weird dance that he did with the camera where it's like literally right he's like right underneath it and then eventually his face is like completely filling the screen because he's right next to the camera um and -hmm. obviously he makes the choice not to leave the airport and uh and that's kind of important um, but yeah, I love the sequence. Yeah, because then it, it it sets up like the rest of the interactions that um, Victor and, and Frank are going to have where Frank's like, OK, I want him to leave the airport. And Victor is I I'm waiting until everything is like honest and straightforward and I'm not going to, you know, try and sneak out. I'm, yeah. I'm if I'm going to go out, I'm going to do it. The right way, and and ultimately, Frank says, "Like I can't do anything to arrest him because I'm I'm not going to be dishonest about it either." And so they kind of have a stalemate of following the rules to some degree. Yeah, and I what I what I mean, yeah, like this is what it, this is basically what the kind of core of the rest of the film is is like Frank trying to figure out ways to force Victor's hand, 
so he can then have him arrested once he leaves the airport and then it's not his problem anymore. But like at the same time, he's not going to make him, he's not going to, because he's asked by judge, he's like, just arrest him on, like in the terminal. And he's like, no, because he's done nothing illegal yet. Like he's, you know, he's lost his passport and his state, but that's it. Like he's, he's not broken any laws, so we can't arrest him. Um, so I think that, I mean, that's obviously Stanley Tucci is, you know, a charming actor so you can't help but like him but you know i think you know with a different actor i think it's it's so hard to view him as yeah, a villain here I, like, but i love him. I, he seems so great i th- yeah. i think with a different actor you might hate frank dixon but it like the fact that they're both mm. like victor is literally like i'm not going to leave the airport until i'm allowed to leave the airport and obviously frank is like i'm not going to have you arrested until you actually break a law and and then that's the stalemate for the rest of the film is like no, like and then it's just him, you know, gradually kind of trying to force Victor's hand. Um, so yeah, uh, he he we he, we then meet. Uh, I don't know, thirty something minutes into this film, Catherine Zeta Jones. Um, she is obviously a, an air stewardess. Uh, you know, she is Amelia Warren, and she falls over on on some on the wet floor. Uh, which we find out later on is kind of a setup by Gupta. He just likes making the floor very wet and then leaving a leaving a bunch of signs and knowing that nobody will notice the floor's wet and just watching people fall over like his own, uh, you know, America's funniest home videos or something. Um, and so mm-hmm. I guess this is um, it's a little bit of a setup that basically she falls over. Uh, obviously she breaks a heel. Uh, it lands at Victor's feet. I like the way that he kind of stops it and flips it and then kind of picks it up. <laughs> He seems he's very suave in this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh and yeah, so he kind of gives it back to her. She obviously does the most logical thing, which is she breaks the other heel off so both of her heels match. <laughs> so she can kind of walk in the I don't know, walk with heels but without the actual heel. Uh it's kind of Yeah, and like she still like lifts her heels up yeah. off the ground. So she doesn't start walking flat. Yeah. Uh which which is funny because generally I mean if I've been out with uh female friends who have broken a heel, they tend to just take the shoes off and but she she keeps the, sh- the shoes on and walks as if the heels are there, uh, which I would you know that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so uh, we we kind of get to know a tiny bit about her. She's you know she's in there, stewardess, and that's it. Um, obviously, she will she you know being the fact that this is probably the hub for you know uh, I think it's said said that it's the hub for United. Obviously, she works for United, so she will be back. Um, but what I like here is this is this is how Victor kind of figures out how he can survive because he's he's got no money and he's basically eating little tiny crackers with like uh, packets of various with ketchup and <laughs> mayonnaise, so making kind of like tiny little sandwiches um, with the different uh, the different condiments. Um, but he sees that the carts when they're returned they they return like a they return a quarter, and so he returns a few and he goes to get a burger from Burger King. Um, uh, at night, he he buy, he goes to Borders, uh, obviously prominently featured in this film. He gets himself uh, a guide of New York in English and a guide of New York in uh, Krakowian, I'm assuming. Um, and he does this very interesting thing where at night he reads both guides pe- like next to each other, page by page, and obviously uses that to kind of translate certain words. Um, I'm guessing it wouldn't be. I mean, you know, you could try and do this with like a, I don't know, a Russian and, a, and like an American guide of, of New York. I don't think it would be one to one in terms of the translation. Um, but I do like that this is how ha- this is like. Obviously, he realizes he can't survive on just having like a few English phrases, and so the fact that he kind of does this to teach himself English gradually over over the course of a couple of weeks um, is ki- is kind of interesting. Um, and. It- 
And and it's not like he achieves full mastery, right? He starts to be able to communicate. And to understand. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and he's much better at understanding than he is at, at speaking English. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think as well it's funny that they kind of stick on the image of um, friends. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he kind of gets stuck saying the word friends over and over again, you know, as, as he kind of keeps, like, just repeating it. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, this film is not funded by Warner Brothers in any way. It's, you know, it's it's fully like a DreamWorks film. So I, I, I don't know why they decided to stick on Friends. I guess 2004 was just around the time where Friends finished. So I guess it would have been in, in the zeitgeist. So, yeah, I just I've, I find yeah. that kind of funny. I was just I was just like, OK, he's I, I mean, I don't know what it's saying about Friends. Like, you know, maybe you can go on a tour of I mean, Friends wasn't shot in New York, so. There's not really any places to visit. But, it's, but I think it's just that it's set in New York. And yeah. so it's something, something about the guidebook. And it's like, oh, you know, this is your guide to New York. Hey, Friends is a really <laughs> popular TV show. Yeah. And that's set in New York. Like, yeah, but like, it's not a, it, it's not like New York-y. Yeah. You know, like, yes, it's set in New York, but it's not like they go to all of the New York sites. You would think they and would. And so Friends is your context for sightseeing. Yeah. You'd think that they would uh, like show another show or another movie that is set in New York and like features the the sites. The sites. Yeah, I mean, Sex and the City is notorious for having like a tour in New York because they filmed it in New York, and you can go to all the places where stuff was filmed. So, uh, but I guess they just wanted to stick with what at the time was the most popular show on TV. Um, and I, I mean, I, I mean, I like this as a tactic as well, like kind of. Like once he starts to get the grasp, um, he then starts watching the TVs again to kind of get context for stuff. um, And he starts repeating some of the phrases of some of the stuff that he sees on there. Also, for some reason, we have Larry King (laughs) interviewing Sarah Ferguson, uh, which is I just thought was a a really weird kind of because obviously Larry King is on CNN. But here he's on this fake news network (laughs) interviewing Sarah Ferguson, which, again, just a weird just the weirdest choice of like an interview from Larry King to put on this, but uh, yeah, mm. um, um, but 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 just trying to evoke like like airport TV. Oh yeah. Oh no no yeah yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like you can't, you literally can't escape CNN if you're in an airport. So I, I guess that's mm-hmm. what they're going for, and it does kind of create that. Like everywhere there are TVs all all over. Um, you know, obviously CRT TVs, which are gigantic so, so they're in these housed in these gigantic things so that they're all over the place but yeah um but from you know obviously from that he keeps going back to get his passport stamped and obviously you know uh or his 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 visa stamped and obviously he keeps getting rejected and then uh you know tucci is kind of seeing that he's getting all the the kind of the quarters from returning he's sustaining himself yeah and no yeah but he's not returning like two or three cards but he's literally lining up every <laughs> single car in the terminal and returning them all at once and getting and like it's almost like a, like a, a jackpot from like a one-armed bandit or something like all these quarters are being spat yeah, in his like, face it, like spits the coins out at his yeah, face which yeah i i thought i mean again it's a slightly heightened thing because I guess, like, there's no way that that, that that the kind of quarter return for that would be set up so it would spit them out in like that. But, you know, it's just a fun thing. No. Uh, of course, to undermine this, you know, uh, the Tooch creates a job that is basically what he's been doing. And the guy just kind of turns up and just stops him, uh, which, of course, causes all the, you know, the carts to, to go, you know, kind of hit backwards and they kind of clip his, like, hit his fingers. 
which I thought was a bit cruel. Like, you could have just told him to stop. You didn't need to kind of just push against him and hurt him. Like, Yeah, th- this guy feels like more of a villain than Stanley Tucci. Yes! yes. <laughs> like this, and he's explaining the kind of this, this super long, you know, title that's been given to him, which is just basically returning the cart so, um, you know, Victor won't have any uh, money. Um <laughs> Uh, but fortunately for Victor, uh, you know, the people working around the, uh, you know, the airport, uh, some of them need something. In particular, uh, Diego Luna playing Enrique Cruz, which again uh, feels like there's some, I don't know, I mean, calling him Enrique Cruz just feels... It seems like a weird name. It, it like it doesn't seem like a natural. No, name. I mean yeah. it's very. It's, I mean, obviously, everyone knows Diego Luna uh, from uh, Itumama Tambien, which you know was like uh, his kind of big debut. Um, he's then been. I mean, I remember him being in Milk. He was very good in that, um, and uh, he was in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, which I've not seen. Uh, and then obviously uh, he was in Rogue One, uh, where he, you know, he. I mean, he was really good in that as well. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and you watch him in this. You you have no idea you're going to be at the front of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, and and then Zoe's held down as in Star Trek, and the two of them obviously. Yeah, it's like, can you guys picture yeah. this? You know, the two of them are obviously. It's, it's ten years from now, but <laughs> you guys are going to be big deals. Uh, I think I think it's interesting as well. Obviously, you know, he's he's Star Wars and she's Star Trek. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing we'll start fighting a marriage. Um. <laughs> Uh, but obviously, he he wants to go out with Zoe Saldana. Who wouldn't? She is one of the most beautiful people in the world. Um, and so he 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 decides to bribe um, uh, Victor with food. He's like, "I'll give you food. You give me information." Obviously, you're talking to uh, Officer Torres like every single day, basically. So, you know, just tell, give me the give me the information. I'll keep feeding you. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think that's funny because obviously like, um, this is, I mean, it feels like the, the kind of within this film, there is this weird rom-com that's going on between those two characters and Tom Hanks is kind of like the third wheel. And, and there's a degree to which it like, it must take off behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, ultimately it's like, okay. And they, they do start dating. And we just don't see most of that. Yeah, it's weird because I like I I mean obviously you know his need for food, I wouldn't say diminishes. I would say like his like his need for food doesn't diminish. But this story does kind of peter out a little bit in that like yeah they get they start they start going out they must start dating but we never we never really kind of completely see that. But again, uh, this is really Victor's film, so I don't know that we need to see it. But it would have been nice to have seen mm-hmm. them in yeah. the food court, in the background having some dates while stuff was going on. Um, but, you know, they don't really kind of get into that. Um, well, the film does a really good job at, at, at first making it seem like you're, you're starting off and uh, starting off to live in an airport. And so you're, 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 you're setting up all these things and you're like, oh, this is a weird way to do your daily routine and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And then it just keeps going and you're like, oh, this is routine. And, and yeah. now you settled in. And, so yeah, after, so... after a few days, Typically, uh, something new after uh, of something new, you would settle into it, and it would just feel natural after that. And the the film does a good job at making it seem as things go on, like with with the dating and with with Victor getting food from Enrique and and all those things, making it seem natural and like oh, this is just how it is now. Yeah. So like once once he has a good system for getting food, you're supposed to just kind of intuit that okay, this system continues and everything's stable and 
We don't have to worry about it. And we're moving on to a new adventure. And previous adventures are going to continue unless you definitely see otherwise. But I'd say, like, this food and the dating in the background is, like, the biggest one where it's like, okay, this was a really big situation. And then it really does take a backseat, right? At a certain point, we're like, okay, we're not worried about food at all anymore. We don't even think about it at <laughs> yeah. all anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is where she says, you know, she goes to conventions. Um, uh, then Tucci beeps him and is like, he like, what I like is obviously at this point, he, he's got like food for him and he's like, do you want some food? And he's like, no, I'm full. <laughs> it's kind of, which I, I like that, like, you know, that was kind of the one thing that, that like, uh, that Dixon had over him was like being able to kind of like give him food or vouchers or whatever. Like that was a, that was leverage and he's lost that leverage. So he's, you know, Victor's just like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, like, um, and this is, of course, where he says to him, look, if you say that you fear going back to your home country, there's a credible fear, then, you know, you can become an asylum seeker and you can seek asylum. And then, you know, like we can you know, get you into America. The process is obviously very long. So, you know, you'll be in, you know, you'll be able to go into America for however long that process takes. I think at the moment, the asylum process in America takes roughly two years. So I think... It's it's a significant yeah. process. So yeah, he's it, like it's, it's his next attempt. It's like if you could just say that you're scared to go back, but he can't say you have to say you're scared. He, he just has to uh, of your country. He just he's, he he's says, pretty close though. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty close. But what I what I find he's bending the rules. But what I find is what I find to be interesting here. I mean. Uh, you know, there are some, uh, I mean, obviously since this film came out, there are some people, uh, you know, particularly on the right, who say that, you know, people are given, like, you know, a phrase to say when they get to American airports so that they can seek asylum. So obviously this is, you know, this is something that since this has become kind of more well known. Um, but what I think is interesting is obviously Victor, you know, he is kind of patriotic towards his country and he won't he won't say that he fears going back to his home country because obviously, you know, once this coup is over and the, and the country's back to normal, there won't be any danger for him. Um, and, you know, he just he kind of he's like, no, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not scared of going back to my home country and I can't say that. Um, and I think it's funny that like then like as Tucci realizes like, oh, you know, we, we we kind of like this this has failed as a like a, a you know a way to kind of get rid of him he then starts going oh yeah i'm very i'm very scared <laughs> and he starts just kind of almost taking the mickey out of him, which i thought was kind of a funny little turn at the end he, he says all these other things like i'm scared of ghosts <laughs> uh i'm scared of this i'm scared of that but it's not it's not what he needed in the moment yeah yeah um, so obviously at that point, like, uh, George and Frank are like, no, 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 just get out of the office. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't want you there. Um, uh, Amelia returns and we find out, uh, that she is seeing a fella called Max, uh, played by an actor called Michael Newry, who I don't believe I've ever seen in any other films. And looking at a list of films that he's done, uh, aside from, I don't know, GoBots, Battle of the Rock Lords, where he played Boulder, um, which I think, to be honest, is a toy that I had. Uh, he would he would turn from a rock into like a robot that had a rock on his back. Um, yeah, so um, uh, you know, uh, I don't know this actor from anything. Apparently, he's been on a lot of TV. Uh, you know, being a New York based actor, he's been on some you know uh, Law and Orders, CSI's, uh, as you would expect. Um, but in this film, he's just here to kind of just pop up and kiss Catherine Zeta-Jones. And then that's his entire role. Um, you know, we will find out. Yep, that's it. Yeah, we'll find out later on, obviously, that he is married. So 
this is an affair that they are having. Um, you know, she is the mistress. Um, and I kind of like she bumps back into, um, you know, Victor. And obviously she's kind of talking about uh, Max um, and saying that, obviously, you know, she would break up with him. But the sex is amazing. <laughs> and obviously Victor's like, OK, thank you very much. Like, he doesn't need to know that. Um, yeah, he, he feels. That, awkward. Th- yeah, that awkwardness. Very, very convincingly. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting, I mean, uh, like, uh, you know, Catherine Zeta Jones, obviously uh, a British actress. She is from Wales. Um, she has she has been around so long now that the thing that she was first famous for has now been rebooted. Um, so uh, I don't know how she feels about the reboot of the Darling Buds of May, which was the thing that I mean, uh, I don't know that you will ever grasp this, but Darling Buds of May over here, for some reason, was huge. I didn't like the show myself. Um, and Catherine Zeta-Jones, like, f- literally, that was, like, I think the first thing that she did. And instantly, all the newspapers were like, who is this extremely beautiful girl? <laughs> because she did, she started when she was, like, I don't know, 19, 20. Um, and, you know, it was gigantic. Like, the show was huge, huge ratings, like, you know, 20, 30 million. It was just, just a huge show. Um, and then, of course, she starts doing a few films. They weren't that successful. She ends up in, like, Zorro. And then she marries Michael Douglas, and they're still together. And twenty something years later, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, it's a it's a long run for Hollywood. Yeah, and uh, the the weirdest thing is, like, I mean, I, I mean, I've seen some Catherine Zeta Jones films. You know, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I'm not saying that you know, not, you know, she's not really an actress that I like seek out. Um, but I think the, this 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 part is very interesting because she's playing somebody who. Uh, for want of a better word, really enjoys sex and having sex with anybody. And the film kind of, like, when when she gets closer to Victor later on, she kind of warns him. She's like, don't get close to me because, you know, she's literally only in it for one thing. And it's it's like, a in, a, in this type, like, this is meant to be like a light comedy, and yet she seems to be in the middle of this kind of weird melodrama where she's having an affair, and it's mostly for the sex, which, of course, she's already told Victor is great. And... I, it's just like, I mean, if I was Michael Norrie, I'd be like, you know, this is good. Like, my character is very good at sex. But it's just such a weird kind of element that's in this film that, like, she's basically saying, don't get close to me because bas- once I've had sex with you, that's it. I don't care anymore. And, you know, even later on, there are, you know, other characters that comment that, like, air stewardesses are, like, permanently going backwards and forwards between time zones. So they always want sex. I don't know that that's a thing that's well known, but, like... It's just, it's just like there's just this weird thing that her character is very sexual, which is good, in a positive way. You know, like she says later on, her husband has an arrangement so they can, you know, they can have affairs. Um, but I just thought like it's a weird characterization for a character that, in other circumstances, this would be like the rom com element, like him gradually getting to know her. You know, we'll find out later. He does mm-hmm. some kind of tricks, so he kind of bumps into her. Like, like it would. This would be kind of the rom com element of the film, but. It does not go in that direction at all. Like, it's not... Like, the ending to this is so weird because it's like... I I was like, like, this is the... Like, that's the end? Like, it just... It's... it's I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Amelia as a character. It's a very odd kind of addition, I think, in this film. I think it is, it is interesting because of all those things you described. And then, like, if we're going to go ahead and talk about, like, the, the ultimate course of this particular story thread, right? Um, because I think that's the, the most logical thing to do. Like, ultimately, they like go on a date and they have a couple of conversations, but it doesn't seem like these two characters 
one, have sex, and two, have any kind of long-term relationship prospects, right? So that it has the trappings of, like you said, that, that romantic element of a romantic comedy, but it, it doesn't have that um, termination point, right? It doesn't have the, the results of a romantic comedy. Yeah, and uh, Victor, he, he doesn't exactly know how to say what's going on and why he's in the airport. So he tells her, but he doesn't tell her at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and that creates a little bit of drama between their relationship as we see later on. Um, but yeah, they do a really, uh, interesting way of, of creating this relationship and how the relationship forms and, and go and ebbs and flows. And I, I think the interesting thing is like when they have their date, uh, which you know, all the different uh, people who you know he he befriends, uh, you know, Cho McBride and Diego Luna and uh, Kumar, like the, they they kind of like help him out. In particular, uh, Kumar Palena, he, he in in real life he was a like a juggler and a kind of plate spinner, and so he does all that, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of. He, he does that yeah, act. Yeah, which is kind of funny. And then obviously they make this agreement where they're like, they're, you know, they've both got beepers and they're like, they, you know, throw away the beeper because obviously her beeper keeps going off. Um, and, and uh, like, you've, you feel like, oh, they're kind of in the same position where, you know, they, they like, he, he gets a suit from Hugo Boss. Um, you know, he, he kind of, he gets the same, he starts reading about Napoleon because Napoleon is her favorite, uh, which is, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I guess her favorite dictator. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's like weird. historical figure. I, it 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 plays on the idea of airport books for sure. It's like these are the kinds of books that people pick up from airports is they get historical biographies and they get kind of obsessed with with historical figures. And that does seem to be kind of like, yeah, that is an airport thing. <laughs> and so I think he's just playing. It's like, well, she's in the airport all the time. She's always grabbing airport, airport books. And what would that lead her to yeah. be interested in? And I, I think it's funny as well, because she says that basically she hasn't got a, she hasn't got a home in the sense that she's, she's constantly going from city to city. So she, you know, she, as, as with a lot of people who kind of, you know, work on flights, she's living out of her, her kind of suitcase the whole time. And obviously he's doing that, but he's not doing it for the same reason that she is. I guess she kind of, she infers a few things when he says that, you know, the flight is delayed and obviously, you know, later on she gets angry because she finds out it was delayed for nine months. And, you know, or he, I mean, again, it's, it's lie by omission, isn't it? Like he said delayed, but he didn't say for how long. And the fact that she keeps mm -hmm. running into him in the same terminal doesn't re you know doesn't set off any alarm bells for her. I mean, you know, like the, the like obviously you know if he's a frequent flyer, then that's fine. But like she's obviously assuming some of that. Um, you know, she confesses that she's thirty nine, yeah. which is Catherine Zeta's age when she was filming this film, which made me think this was how old is Catherine Zeta, and she is like basically like fifty two. Uh, now these days but obviously still looks as beautiful as ever um so it's it's yeah it's it's kind of weird that like that's her big confession is like she's 39 and he says to her i live in the airport and she interprets that as you know it feels like you live it, in it yeah feels it feels like, like you live in the airport because you're here so often like that's the like that's how she interprets but he does t he has told her the truth he said i live in the airport she just didn't choose to hear it um yeah so he does try to explain himself yeah I mean, but there, but there are other people that that come to him, and he's like, "Doesn't it feel like you're living in an airport?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, but 
I actually am, and and no one really believes him because a lot of people who travel a lot for their jobs or for for leisure um, mm. will say that it feels like they're living in an airport. Yeah, but yeah, so it's it's playing on you know all of that sensation, yeah. and yeah, like you said, the assumptions that people will make about. Oh well, he must be talking about the same way I feel like this is what's going on. He's like, no, he's literally <laughs> trying to explain what is going on, yeah. and people don't hear. Uh, it. Yeah, it's funny because like he's 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 saying it as a literal thing, but people are hearing it as like a, an idiom, and it's like, no, that he's not. He's you know, he's literally telling you. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that once we get to the kind of the payoff for you know uh, what happens next. Um, which is he tries to apply for jobs at the various places in the in the the food court and the around you know the kind of the terminal, uh, and each time he's told that the the position has been filled, uh, and this leads to like the the kind of the the, the funny um, uh, what I don't know like the he goes to that one store, uh, is it the discovery store? Is that where he goes? Uh, yeah, and and they want a phone number. Yeah, and so he gives them the phone number of the phone that's like literally right next to the store, and then he basically waits the entire day for the guy to call, uh, to the point where like obviously he needs to he needs to pee, and he's just kind of sitting there, kind of like you know with his leg going, and then the guy calls and he like picks up the phone and he's like right there, and he just like waves to him, and then he says the position's been filled, and he's like oh great now I can use the bathroom, <laughs> and then he like runs off to use the bathroom, mm-hmm. um. But what I find funny is, like, obviously, we get the feeling that Frank Dixon has told all the stores if he tries to apply for a job, tell him the position's been filled, even if it hasn't. Um, you know, and so again, it's like him kind of behind the scenes trying to make it so that Victor can't sustain himself in the airport, um, which, um, you know, leads to him uh, just doing some work. Like, uh, he's, you know, there's, there's some kind of like a plastering or whatever that needs doing. And so he just starts working on this wall. Um, and then when he finishes it, like the crew turn up the next day and they're like, who are you? And he's, you know, putting on his clothes and trying to get out of there because obviously he doesn't want to be caught. And they're like, are you, you know, they're on the, uh, is it Harry's crew is the other crew that like he's, he thinks he's on? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, are you on Harry's crew? And he obviously Victor's not saying yes or no to it. Um, and I think it's funny that they basically like, you know, because of the quality of the workmanship, they're like, you know, you're on our crew now, you know, stop, start doing work. Um, and I think it's funny that, like, again, we're just getting hints of, like, you know, he's obviously earlier he took apart all the chairs using a pen knife, and now he's obviously done some plastering. So we get the feeling that he was in construction when he was back home, and obviously he was very good at it. Um, we even see a little bit of him, you know, uh, looking at some kind of blueprints and kind of instructing other people. <laughs> so obviously he ends up kind of almost in like a foreman position. Uh, so again, it's like the the film isn't explicitly saying this is what he did back home. But like, you know, this is this like this but, is obviously what yeah, he like, did. some sort of contractor yeah. does seem to be okay. Like he he is so good at this at least a hobby, if not if not like but an I actual really job. Think, like, but it's he's, probably he's, a job. He's so good at this. It's like oh, he remodels apartments <laughs> and, and houses. Yeah. And stuff. yeah. Uh, what I like about this as well is obviously uh, you know uh, Frank Dixon is watching him on the cameras doing his work. And he says to Judge, he's like, you know, what's he, you know, what's he getting paid? Um, and he says, of course, you know, he's been paid under the table. And he's like, yeah, but what's his hourly rate? And he's like, $19 an hour. And obviously Frank Dixon is like, that's more than I get paid. 
Uh, yeah, un- under the table, so tax-free. Yeah. Um, and, and none of the concerns about benefits and insurance and all that. But then also, Victor isn't paying rent or anything, so like this is just pure Going straight income. to him for food, for yeah, I mean, probably news things. I mean, if he's doing like... Uh, he starts getting some new clothes. Yeah, if he's doing like a, like a seven-hour day or eight-hour day, uh, you know, what's eight? Eight twos. He's making like hundred and sixty dollars a day, <laughs> tax free, mm-hmm. um, and he's doing that like seven days a week because obviously he's got nowhere else to go. So he's he's making you know he's doing quite well. He's making you know like about four four grand yeah, a month. He's getting a thousand dollars. Yeah. A week. So uh, yeah. So I think it's funny that like that like kind of Dixon is jealous. Um, now, <laughs> like within this, there is also uh, there's a card game that he plays with uh, with Cruz and uh, and Chime mm-hmm. McBride, who I haven't said much about. But his character's not super important to this film. Like he's kind of it's weird that he was kind of cast because it's almost like he's too big of an actor for this part. <laughs> like it's like it's just he's only in like a few scenes and he kind of barely says anything. Um, but but he's but he's a nice presence. Yeah. I mean, I like I like him as an actor. Yeah. So in anything I've seen him in, it was like ah, but I like seeing him. So I'm happy to have. Yeah, him but I mean, his character's not really anything, which is why I haven't really talked about it. Like he's he's just you know one of the other mm-hmm. guys that kind of works there. Um, you know, so there is a card game. Uh, he wins this like gigantic. It looks like a marlin, but I think later on they kind of correct exactly what it is. Uh, he's got this gigantic plastic fish that he almost hits Cruz on the head with. He like, keep ducking as he's moving it, which I thought was quite a nice bit of physical comedy. Again, um, they do they do this thing where they put him through the X-ray because um, Gupta is kind of paranoid about him working for the government, uh, which is a funny scene of him just kind of lying on the thing and being put through. Um, you know, but the, the the side story that's happening or while this is going on is that. Um, Frank Dixon is possibly going to be promoted, um, but you know there's going to be some inspectors coming to the to the airport to kind of take a look at how things run, and obviously they'll be judging Frank Dixon on that. Uh, his boss, played by Eddie Jones, who was on uh, Lois and Clark: The Adventures of Superman as um, Superman's dad, on that, uh, he's his boss. who's like retiring. He's bought himself a boat. Uh, you know he's he's you know he's he's getting out there and he just wants to know that like Frank is the person he wants to take over. Um, so this inspection kind of happens, uh, and obviously you know it's implied that Victor's presence might cause issues. So obviously you know him and Judge are being very careful about you know what they're doing, um, and you know they have this guy who's uh, got a bag of walnuts, and obviously <laughs> Frank Dixon is like you know can I try a walnut? And the guy's looks a bit suspicious and obviously it turns out they're all full, filled with drugs um you know mm-hmm. i don't know how they got the drugs inside the walnuts that's the thing that puzzled me i was like did they glue back the walnut shells like i, I think the sense is like and i don't know anything about drug transport well no i mean i'm just talking about I the walnuts assume. like generally if you crack a walnut open that's it you've you've destroyed the shell well yeah so i think oh. i think i think when they do that sort of stuff it's like a plaster mold of a walnut oh, okay yeah, that, that and so makes sense. they're putting it into something that looks just like a walnut, but it's not actually yeah. a walnut. Okay, I guess. I mean, but I, that just had that had me puzzled. I was like, how did they get how did they get the drugs inside the walnuts? But obviously, this looks good for him that he's managed to spot a guy who's bringing a bunch of drugs through. In fact, if I was a suspicious person like Gupta, I would say, did he set that up? Did he like give a bunch of drugs to this guy to kind of bring through, and he's going to let him go later? Um, but yeah, it looks good in front of everyone. Yeah, they they have these moments where he's like suspiciously good. Yeah. At it intuiting like something's wrong like like yeah. with the um the tourists earlier and the cameras it's like oh he's really good at 
at noticing the thing that is out of place. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, this is where we kind of get, uh, you know, the big kind of scene for Victor where there's a Russian guy. He's got a straight razor to his neck. Um, he's obviously threatening to kill himself. There's something going on with the drugs. This guy's come through Canada, so he's got a bunch of drugs on him. Um, and in, in this case, medication drugs, not like yes. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. drugs. Yeah. So, I mean, still still drugs, but prescription drugs. Um, and so, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, things are kind of going south, and this is not looking good for uh, Dixon. Um, but Judge has an idea, and he they at this point, they've basically they've quarantined Novotsky in this, like, room, so he's not in the terminal. Um, and so they go and fetch him from this room where he's on the toilet, which I thought was a nice little, like, as as, as Stanley Tucci walks in, he's, like, calling for him. And then he just pops his head around from the side of the toilet. And he's like, oh, you know, like, he doesn't. And then, of course, before he leaves, we see him grab, like, a bit of toilet paper, uh, which I thought was funny. Mm. Um, yeah. So, obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're reasoning that he's, you know, he's Eastern European. This guy's Russian. There's probably some, you know, they won't speak the same language, but there's probably some kind of way that they can kind of translate some some kind of something between the two of them so that they can kind of get across um you know what's happening um and of course with tom hanks being you know one of the best actors in the world he really like we have this guy who's kind of very loud and panicky and everything and the way he kind of is like you know talking to him and kind of calming him down and stuff um you know, it's it's just a great scene where, like, you know, it goes from being this kind of crisis where everything's falling apart to kind of just being easily managed. Um, and then, of course, we get the moment where the guy is, like, begging because he's, like, he needs these drugs for his father. Um, and then, of course, you know, Victor shows that he's been reading up and he says, no, 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 they're not for his father, they're for a goat. And, of course, you know, Frank Dixon knows what he's doing, but, he, you know, as with, like, the asylum thing, like, they're, they're, neither of them are kind of saying it out loud. Um, and he's like, you've read the rules. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which I like that moment where like Victor's like kind of playing dumb. It's it's like a very funny moment where he's like, what rules? Like, um, And of course, if it's for animals, then they don't need a prescription. And I like how he kind of conveys that to, you know, the Russian guy saying, you know, basically saying to him, you've got to say it's for your, for, for, for a goat so that they will let you go and let you keep it. And I, but actually, I I don't know if that's what's happening. So I speak Polish, which oh, yeah. is related to to Russian and you know all those um, Eastern European languages. And I'm pretty sure, you know the the like they use real they use a lot of real words. So like when he's initially talking to him, he's like, "Hey, calm down, calm down. Like it's it's all cool. Like relax, basically." And that last question that he asks him is basically like, he really does say like, "Who is the medicine for?" Like, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he says, like, the words for, you know, like, for who is this medicine? Yeah. Um, and so he, he phrases it like a question. So I think, like, I've never been sure whether or not he is actually manipulating the situation so that this guy could take medicine to his father or if this medicine genuinely is for a goat. Well, I, I, I mean, to me, it seems obvious that he's basically lying. But I, I think the fact that he said, like, the, the way that he says goat, like, quite a few times before he asked the question again. And he keeps looking at the guy, and then the guy replies, "It's for a goat." So yeah, so there might be yeah, and and it's like obviously the fact that <laughs> the fact that Frank Dixon gets so mad when he's like, "Oh, you know," like I, I find it weird as well because obviously again this is Frank Dixon following the rules. Like if the guy says it's for a goat, 
then that's it. He has to let him keep the medicine, and let, even if he knows it's not for the goat, he he's still following the rules. It, 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 yeah, it's based on what the what the person yeah. says. So yeah. it's it's like it's like okay, that's it. You know, we're following the rules, and the rules say if he says it's for an animal, then it's for an animal, and that's like we've got no other way of checking. It, it, in, unless you have like clear evidence, right? Yeah. If you can examine the walnuts and, <laughs> well, and find the yeah. drugs, then it's one situation. But if it's like okay, like we're not going to be able to confirm this. Yeah. But what I love about this is this obviously then leads to, um, you know, uh, Gupta retelling the story to everybody who works in the food court and on the various, um, you know, establishments. And, you know, when he kind of reveals the, the ending and he's like, you know, it was Victor. Victor said it was for a goat and the guy said it was for a goat and so he was let go. And now, like, there are these, like, photocopies of his, his hand <laughs> that are, like, put up everywhere <laughs> to indicate that they, mm-hmm. they you know, that they kind of uh, appreciate what Victor is doing. And as he kind of walks around now, everyone is kind of smiling at him. And, you know, people who basically had kind of said there was no job earlier were now and, and kind of laughed at him almost, you know. They're, they're now on his side. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like basically Frank Dixon has kind of lost control of his own airport terminal because everybody that works there likes Victor more than him. Um, the local hero. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just love it. It's like it's a great... Because obviously, you know, it ma- it makes sense that they would, you know, that, that like kind of this this would kind of, you know, travel around and people would hear of it and, you know, end up being on Victor's side. Uh, Victor tries to give the gigantic fish away uh, to... to um, to uh dixon uh, he'd obviously noticed earlier in dixon's office that there are a few fish mounted on the walls um dixon turns down the fish he doesn't want the fish um you know they find out when amelia's coming back and they do this nice little thing where when she comes back that you know uh chai mcbride and diego luna and um and kumar palina they kind of force her into his lap which is again it's kind of interesting that they did that uh, as we said, they have the meal. There's some juggling going on. She confesses she's 39 and they throw away their pages. Um, and then uh, we find out from Cruz that he wants Victor to do one last thing for him um, when he gets his, his you know papers rejected again by um, Dolores the next day. And that is to deliver the engagement ring. And of course, uh, they then get married in the airport, <laughs> which I feel like they could have... I mean, they could have got married somewhere else, but I guess they're in the airport so often they may as well get married while they're there. And they're dr- he's driving around his little kind of uh, his little food truck uh, with uh, just married on the back. And it's, mm. I mean, it's a it's a weird moment that just kind of suddenly happens. <laughs> like they're married, um, uh, but yeah. But it, but it's like it's pleasant and charming, yeah. which is kind of the vibe of the whole. Movie. I guess yeah, it is a little heightened that people would get married in a. Um, you know, in a in an airport, but yeah, you know, uh, now they're married, um, and uh, we then we kind of get the climax of of the relationship between Emilia and Victor, where they've they've been talking about what did you know Napoleon give to his wife as a, a present, and Victor has rigged up, um, you know, a fountain uh, that he's also kind of built a mosaic on, uh, and it looks really good. Um, but the fountain part doesn't work. <laughs> so so he's obviously not a plumber. He's by trade he's not a plumber. Um which makes sense cuz you know I know a lot of people who do plastering and plumbing is not their thing. Uh so yeah, the fountain doesn't work, which is weird because obviously in other films if this was a romantic comedy, the fountains would work. That would be the the payoff. That would be what gets them together. Um but in this case no, they don't work. 
Um, and she's angry that he lied. Uh, but then he like, cause she's like, why are you, why are you still here? Basically. And he then explains why he's still here. You know, he's got this tin that he's been carrying around. Um, you know, obviously Dixon's been curious as to what's in this tin. And we find out <laughs> the, tin of, the tin of peanuts. Yeah, he's like, "What's in it?" He, in fact, he stops Amelia and brings him into the brings her into the office and is like, "Find out what's in that tin." Um, and he basically, you know, he says, uh, "There's a like a a picture of like a bunch of uh, jazz musicians," and his father had wrote to all of them and asked them to, you know, send their signatures. All of them had done this. There's like seventy two, I think, and he's got seventy one. And his father has died, and he had promised his father he would come to New York, he would go to see uh, Benny Golson, who is a real jazz saxophonist, and he would get his signature, and that would complete it, and he would put the signature in the tin, and then obviously he would go back home. That was it. He's literally just in New York to go to that to one venue to meet Benny Golson. That's it. That's his entire... And that's why he's he hasn't left, because he made a promise to his father. Um, and obviously, you know, it's kind of an amazing scene where where Tom Hanks is kind of explaining this, um, and you know she she's like she I guess at this point she kind of she kind of forgives him for the kind of lying by omission <laughs> you know missing out the fact that you've been delayed for nine months um, and kind of forgives him for that um, you know the next day uh, he gets woken up by everyone because the war is over the coup was unsuccessful the government have taken back control. And, you know, uh, everyone is celebrating, singing the national anthem uh, of um, his home country, the name of which, Krakosia. He's he's singing the, the, the theme of Krakosia, which apparently is just random words of Bulgarian and Russian that Tom Hanks made up on the day. And people just kind of sung along to the tune and that's it. Like, does, like it doesn't make any sense, apparently. Um, but, you know people just enjoyed kind of singing it on the set um you know amelia turns up and she has a one day pass for him to go into new york um but when when he obviously he's thinking this is because she's forgiven him and they're going to get back together and she says no like that that was that wasn't the deal like this isn't that is that this isn't how that's going down like you know you get this one day pass from me because you know she's back with max and you know she he should have known from the beginning like there was never going to be anything between them you know she likes max the sex is amazing apparently so um you know we see her kiss max and he goes to get his his one day uh visa stamped uh but unfortunately it requires the signature of frank dixon and frank dixon isn't going to do that so when he goes to his office he sees that frank is packing up uh frank has got the promotion so that's the end of that storyline. Um, but he gives him his passport back and he gives him his ticket back and he says to him, get on the plane. Like, And if you don't, then, you know, your friends that have been helping you out, you know, Chai McBride's character, he's like, threatens him with being fired. He threatens Diego Luna with being fired. And then he threatens, most importantly, Gupta, who apparently killed a man in the 70s in India. <laughs> um, he wasn't, I don't think he was killed. He just injured because he, he said did. it, it, it yeah, missed so the he, heart. He, he attacked yeah he attacked officer. a police yeah. officer so uh which is understandable uh you know who wouldn't want to like, kill a police officer i guess um uh well if the police officer is extorting you yeah know, then... i mean I, the thing with india of course it is known it's well known for its uh corruption like 
it's it's so corrupt that the Indian government, in an unprecedented move, got rid of all its old currency uh, because they knew that people who take bribes were hanging on to thousands and thousands and thousands of rupees. So they basically took all money out of circulation, printed a bunch of brand new money, and they told people, if you want to get your old money exchanged, you have to take it to the bank. But if you report anything more than like a thousand dollars, then we're going to start investigating your life. So that's that's how corrupt India was. They basically uh, got rid of all corruption or attempted to by changing their entire money. Um, so, you know, obviously with this, these threats hanging over him, he decides that, you know, he's going to get on the plane. He's not going to he's not going to go to New York. He's not going to fight it. Um and you know uh, so he goes to wait for his plane uh, which unlike the other planes which have locations of cities this one just has Krakosia as its as its destination so i don't know if the the capital of Krakosia is called Krakosia <laughs> but i don't know it's just a weird thing i noticed you know maybe it's small enough that it's only got one airport and it's named after the the country maybe uh, maybe yeah. But uh, so he goes to wait for the plane. Uh, but of course, uh, Gupta, who is now friendly with Victor, as is the entire of the airport, <laughs> apart from Frank Dixon, uh, he he goes out onto the tarmac and he stands in front of the plane that is pulling into the terminal. Um, and basically uh, like a whole bunch like he what I like about this is the plane looks like it's not going to stop. It looks like it's going to run him over. But he basically just taps the wheel with his like mop and it stops just at that moment. Uh, and of course, then dozens and dozens and dozens of police cars show up on the, tar- the tarmac all getting their guns out. and put. I mean, this is like a guy who's like, what, like 80 has just got a mop like and you're pointing like 15 different guns at him. Just like, you know, feels a bit over the top. Uh, but then, obviously, as as Gupta looks up to the terminal, he says he's going back home. Uh, so he has kind of sacrificed himself, um, you know, for Victor, uh, delaying his uh, his plane. Of course, this angers Frank Dixon when he sees the delay on the board. Um, and then Victor, obviously, you know, goes to leave the airport, and he's followed by literally everybody in the entire airport. All of the workers follow him uh, as he reaches the door, and in front of the door, you have all of the police officers obviously with judge in the middle of them and he says to frank you know he's sorry but you know you know new york is cold so have my coat and he takes his coat off and he says it's snowing out there uh and it's just a i mean i thought that was like a very touching moment where it's like even judge is like i don't agree with what frank's doing like just just go you know like just go into new york you've been here long enough you don't have to you know you don't have to wait um of course, uh, Dixon is not happy with this. He's screaming down his uh, his walkie-talkie to arrest him. But obviously, the entire of the you know the entire airport likes Victor. They don't like Frank, so they're not going to stop him. Um, and of course, he he gets in a taxi just as Amelia is arriving and getting out of another taxi. Obviously, in some rom-coms, this would be where Amelia would get in a taxi with Victor. But no, she just keeps on going into the airport. Mm-hmm. She's That's it. That's the end of the relationship. Then, you know, the, or there was no relationship as far as she's concerned. You know, <laughs> he built a fountain for her that didn't work, and that's it. They both like Napoleon. End of story. Maybe, maybe the fountain not working is a metaphor 
for the relationship not working. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I, I, like I said, I hadn't seen this film before yesterday. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I was expecting her to say something or do something. But nope, she just keeps on going into the airport. Uh, obviously happy that uh, Victor has finally escaped. Um, and he tells the taxi driver, he says, you know, he needs to go to the Ramada Inn. And he gives him the directions. He tells him which route to take. And then he says to the the taxi driver because he's like oh you know he's like he's up from Kokosia and he's like oh you know I'm from uh, where does he say he's from I can't remember which I think he says Albania yeah. and he's like how long have you been here and he's like oh since Thursday <laughs> and obviously he drives off uh, that obviously being a joke about uh, the ethnicity of New York taxi drivers um, and I will say this if you ever go to JFK don't take a yellow cab into the city that is the most expensive way to get there either take Take the subway from the, from the airport. JFK's got, but JFK's even got a connecting subway that just goes around the terminals. So it's free. It's free. So you can just get to the right one. Just it's going to take you an hour, but you'll get into Manhattan, and it will only cost you like I don't know three dollars. Don't pay for a taxi. It's the most expensive way to get there. Or if you and it will also still take you an hour. Yeah, because you'll be stuck <laughs> in traffic. Or if you don't mind the scenic view. Uh, then go to uh, go and get one of those uh, those those taxis that you share with other people. Go to like Ground Transport. Uh, I think it costs about ten to fifteen dollars, and you know there'll be eight or nine of you in there, and obviously they'll drop you off, you know, wherever you're going into the city, and it probably will take a couple of hours, but you'll get to see the whole of Manhattan as they drive around and drop you off, you know, drop other people off at various. Don't get a yellow. It's most ex- literally cost you. You have to pay the tolls. Anyway. Um, yeah, so this guy's only been there since Thursday because obviously it's hilarious that, you know, taxi drivers are all not American, um, yet they still know where they're going. Uh, but yeah, so he, you know, he gets to where he's going. He wasn't going to stay at the Ramada Inn. More importantly, he just wanted to get to the lounge around the corner. Um, and so obviously he goes to the lounge around the corner and, uh, you know, that's where Benny Golson is performing. And, you know, he says to it, just before Benny Golson's about to start playing, he says to him, can you you know, can you sign this? And I like how, like, the band just starts playing, and Benny's like, afterwards, you know, like, I've, I've got to start playing now, and then he just, like, starts playing. Um, but, yeah, and then, uh, I, I at this point, I was thinking, is he going to get the autograph, or is, like, Frank going to send the police, and he's going to get arrested? But, but he just, he gets the autograph, we see it signed, and he gets the taxi back, and obviously things aren't working out well for, um, you know, a writer of the, the Girly Show starring Tracy Jordan because Scott Adsit is the ta- is the taxi driver back. <laughs> He's in like 30 seconds, but I was like, that's weird. <laughs> um, you know, I guess this is this is a few years before 30 Rock started. Um, uh, yeah. So he tells him Scott Adsit says, where are you going? And he says home. Now, obviously, he should say. No, which airport do you mean? Like, give me a proper destination. You can't just say you're going home. It makes no sense. Uh, but obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, a bit of magical realism. I, I agree with you. That final line yeah. is like, okay, but like, yeah. he, he can say home and then he's like, okay, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Because there's three airports. It could be any of them. Like, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess for the kind of the magical realism, he just has to say home and that's the end of the film. Uh, and then uh, we get a bunch of signatures going on because obviously the whole point of the film was collecting signatures. So everybody in the end credits gets to sign their names. Um, I should say as well, the word no opening credits for this thing, apart from it just saying the terminal. 
on like a, a a board as if it was like a departure board. That's it. Which I I like that departure board yeah. effect. It is. It's really nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's it. That's the end of the film. He just says he's going home. Uh, he's probably never going to see Amelia again. He's probably never going to come to New York again. But he has, you know, achieved what he said he would to his father. Um, and I think it's weird because for half this film, we don't know what's in that tin, and so we have no idea what his goal is. We just know he's not going <laughs> to leave the airport. And then once we know that, the goal of the whole film comes: getting out and going to see this, uh, to see Betty Golson. Like that becomes the. The main drive, which I just thought was a weird kind of shift. Um, but I guess, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg said he wanted this to be like a, you know, just a lighter film. So um, I should say we skipped over the fact that Guillermo Diaz is one of the guys on the cr- construction crew, um, you know, best known for being in Scandal and most recently being on Law and Order Organized Crime, I think he is. <laughs> um, but I love Guillermo Diaz. He's a great actor. Um, but he's got such a tiny role in this. Again, it's like so many, so many good actors in really small roles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the ending is. I mean, it's obvious he's kind of go back to the airport and he's going to get his plane or whatever. But I, 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 I like the ending just being, you know, maybe a little bit kind of ambiguous as to maybe he's actually going to do that. You know, he's saying he's going home. Well, at this point, the terminal probably is more his home than than anywhere else. Exactly. Yeah, like, so. You know, is he is he just going to go? stay there or is he gonna go back to Krakosia yeah uh, we'll have to find out in the terminal too uh, even more <laughs> terminal uh, but yeah I uh, yeah I mean I I, I mean I, it's weird because I thought it was like a very low key ending for a film that has had some kind of you know very like big kind of moments um, so I, I just I thought it was kind of an interesting way for it to end just with uh, you know all of the, the kind of uh you know, like just all the, the different, um, you know, kind of different storylines and everything, and it just ends with him kind of sitting in a taxi going back to the airport, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought it was a nice ending. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, feels like we can go to judgments. Uh, of course, it is either T Hanks or no T Hanks. Uh, and of course, let's start with, uh, let's start with you two. I'm assuming, obviously, I know what it is, but. Uh, you have to you have to <laughs> render your judgment. Yeah, it's it's a really charming film, and um, I'm really glad that Andrew introduced it to me five years ago. So it's a definite T Hanks for me, and it's a T Hanks for me. It 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 is one of my favorites. Yeah, and a T Hanks for me. I mean, you know, the other films in 2004, not so much. I don't want to spoil the next episode, <laughs> but <laughs> the next the next one is. What? I'll say at the end uh, when I do my oh. segue. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I again, like, uh, like you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is kind of barely in this film. Like, she's in a few scenes. You know, you've got Chai McBride kind of in a tiny role. Uh, you know, Guillermo Diaz just kind of shows up for a couple of scenes. Um, you know, there's just so many kind of good actors um, that are just kind of in mm-hmm. it for small moments. Um, but, I, you know, I think that's obviously... Again, like it's rare that Tom Hanks kind of does big ensemble films. He tried it with the previous one with the Lady Killers, and I think that didn't quite go to plan. Um, I think it's interesting as well that Catherine Zeta Jones was in Intolerable Cruelty, which obviously was the Coen Brothers film before uh, Lady Killers. Obviously, Tom Hanks is in Lady Killers, 
neither of them have worked with the Coen brothers since those films. <laughs> so, um, you know, not really what one would call a successful collaboration. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously the kind of the antagonism between like, you know, Tucci and Hanks, that's really great. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know why Stanley Tucci hasn't worked with Tom Hanks again. I guess he kind of got stuck doing like a bunch of Hunger Games or whatever. Um, well, and and they don't actually have like a ton of scenes together in this. That's the other thing that surprised me thinking about it. It's like, oh, a lot of their antagonism is like at each other, not with each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, obviously, they did work together with in uh, Road to Petition. Again, there's not a huge amount of scenes between them in that one. So, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know that, that that like they haven't really worked since you know on anything. Uh, but like like I said, Stanley Tucci's been he did a lot of Hunger Games. He, you know he did Captain America and uh, Percy Jackson apparently, and uh, and some Transformers. So he's had a, a bit of an mm-hmm. odd career since this. Um, although obviously he was great in Spotlight as well. Wonderful film, um, and Easy A. I mean, his role in Easy A is probably. You know, dad of the century. Just a wonderful, uh, uh, wonderful part. Stanley Tucci is just, uh, he's, he, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but he's just, he's a wonderful actor. And yeah, I, I, Andrew I and I it. rave about him all the time. Yeah. Um, and the thing is as well, like, I mean, uh, the film Burlesque is not a great film, but Stanley Tucci is fantastic in that. Him and Cher, like, as a partnership. It, it's kind of like, why haven't they done more? Uh, I guess because he's been doing a bunch of Transformers films or whatever. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen the film uh, A Little Chaos, uh, which was directed by Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Alan Rickman, um, him and uh, and Kate Winslet were in that as well. Wonderful together. Um, you know, it's about the uh, Garden of Versailles uh, and kind of how that all came about. So it's a wonderful film. Uh, like I said, Danny Tucci, wonderful actor. Um but yeah, I mean, again, yeah, I would have liked more scenes between them, but obviously it's funny because like it's like every, you know, like 20 minutes, like he calls him into his office and tells him something and then, and then kind of lets him go. And then, you know, just watches him on cameras and stuff. So it is kind of an interesting way to kind of do the relationship. And again, like when he keeps going for the jobs and they all keep saying the positions have been filled, it's obvious that there's something going on behind the scenes that he's manipulating all these people and, you know, trying to kind of get Victor out of there. Um, you know, so yeah, uh, just uh, just a you know an enjoyable film. Uh, like I said, obviously you know Spielberg next film is Munich, so things <laughs> obviously took a more uh, serious turn. Um, but uh, yeah, I just you know, and also just I love the fact that this entire film is just Tom Hanks just ribbing his father-in-law, just putting on a funny accent and just kind of having fun. Um, you know. But uh, yeah, so before we go, uh, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? Uh, Just our usual podcast, Disney Animation Minute Essentials, um, where we're covering Disney animated movies one minute at a time. And you can find us on Twitter at T underscore FT memory. Extremely awkward, which is why I have to spell it out for everyone on every single episode. Uh, Thanks to both of you for being my guest here. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Hopefully we will speak again in the future. And uh, at this point, I think we're going to have to leave the terminal, much like Victor Noworski, because we've got aboard the Polar Express.